Welcome to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. I'm Associate Editor Elijah Poindexter. Recently, I spoke with Giles Eubanks, Strategic Advisor at Ita Novarga Group. Giles and I discussed the good, bad, and ugly of crypto applications for banks, along with how banks can best approach implementing services for digital assets. Bitcoin, you know, if you judge it purely as a payment tool, right? So, you know, so even ignore it being a currency, but just as a means of, you know, giving money from person A to person B, right, in whatever kind of instance of exchange, it's pretty terrible. It's actually pretty bad by most metrics, right? It's complicated to use. You know, the on-ramps, if you don't know what you're doing, are, are, are you know, very confusing, very difficult. Um, it's not that cheap, right? You know, I'm, the volatility of pricing, everyone knows very, very well. But when you look at things like the speed of a transaction, you know, kind of Bitcoin's top BT, or, um, transactions per second TPS is about, you know, seven, right? So it's literally, it's a handful. Ethers maybe double that. Um, you look at, you know, kind of Visa and MasterCard, they're in the thousands, right? Kind of the instances where those go down is very rare. Um, you know, kind of the fraud considerations compared to other payment tools are is terrible, right? If something goes wrong, trying to get a charge back on a on a cryptocurrency transaction is extremely difficult, if not impossible, right? It's kind of written into um, the actual kind of you know into the whole point of Bitcoin itself. You know, so actually using it in a day to day use case, it's just it's not practical, right? It doesn't really have any benefits over something like say. You know, say a contactless card, right? A contactless card payment, which people know very well from Visa or MasterCard. Bing, bang, boom, you know, you're through, you're done. It happens very rapidly. We're talking kind of milliseconds. There's very minimal interruptions there. It's accepted nearly everywhere. You know, there are costs to the merchants. Yes, as a consumer, you know, you do have to have a relationship with the bank. Um, you know, so, so yeah, are there cons? Depends on your point of view. But, you know, for the vast majority of people in instances, you know, that's fine. That's part and parcel, especially if you don't have the technical details to really go into crypto from scratch, which the vast majority, even most crypto enthusiasts do not have. You know, you're talking about going via some sort of, you know, a wallet platform, via an exchange. You're still working with a third party, which is kind of like a bank, <laughs> you know, with, except now suddenly you have less you know, less protections, right? There's less underwriting. You know, it's, I know Coinbase said, you know, your your assets could be lost. And sorry, if they're lost, you're too bad. You know, it's, there's no insurance from, from the Fed under any of these, you know, kind of funds being held there. It's, you know, even when you start looking at cross-border transactions, and that's one of those areas where it always comes up, right? It's a cheaper, faster, easier way to send money internationally. Um, in theory, yes, it could be, depending on the mechanisms in use there again, um, but, you know, at the same time, look at a lot of the other payment tools which are there and currently in use, right? So, you know, you can do direct-to-card sending these days, account-to-account sending. Um, you know, PayPal works pretty effectively. Those fees are not that bad. When you compare a PayPal fee to what often crops up in an Ether um, gas fee, right? So that actual cost per transaction, certainly your whole benefit of using Ether you know, to make a cross-border payment disappears pretty rapidly. Um, you know, let alone if you're a bank or financial institution, um, you know, do you want to be enabling a payment mechanism which can circumnavigate, you know, circumvent, uh, you know, AML, right? Kind of fraud detection. You know, AML money laundering is a big issue that banks, I think, rightfully need to take on board, right? Sanction screening, um, you know, very critical considerations. It's one of those issues where it always sounds good, like, oh, it'll be censorship proof, but just take a step back and like, okay, but what does that actually mean in practice? Right now, obviously there are use cases in, in some markets where it does serve a purpose. 
think about you know kind of troubled regimes with much more authoritarian um, circumstances it might be a very useful way for people to move money back and forth sure okay I'll, I'll buy that but for the vast majority of people in most markets you know that does not really apply um you know it's not necessarily a relevant payment tool that other solutions can't do better now if you really if people were really interested in you know creating a means to send money internationally cross-border more quickly, more cheaply, you can actually do that via the the central infrastructure that's coming into place. So take, for instance, there's, there's real-time payments are growing now in many markets around the world. So this is where you can almost instantly send money between bank accounts um, at a fraction of the cost of even a normal car transaction. So these are springing up in a ton of countries. So the UK has a system, Europe has a system, the US is rolling out um, its own system, right? There's a TCA, or, or there's... Um, you know, so there's real-time payments, RTP from ACH in the U.S., and just country by country. And now what we're starting to see, it's kind of its early days, is these systems becoming more interoperable internationally, right, kind of using international standards. So suddenly, you know, it won't take that long for us to have an international monetary system where you can send money for pennies, fractions of a normal card transaction, internationally, directly account to account. Um, you know, which again there, you know, that's infrastructure that's in place, it's regulated, it's insured, it's covered. Um, you know, there's no real benefit that I can see other than perhaps, you know, a dislike of central banks, a dislike of banks themselves that really, you know, is better via a cryptocurrency for those instances. If, if you know, if you are the standard U.S., maybe not a community bank, let's just say a, a you know, uh, 500, that's nah, way too much, $50 billion bank, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how, what is the best practice or some best practices, you know, how should these banks be approaching Bitcoin, of course, being the big kahuna, but then it's a large, you know, just kind of uh, cryptocurrency, stable coins. You know, how should they be approaching it? Where is the business value there? Right. So, so yeah, I know it's a good question. I don't know if there necessarily is a best practice yet. I think number one is really just, you know, taking a look under the hood and actually, you know, one audit trails, right? Kind of just finding out, you know, what does governance look like? What do audit trails look like? You know, what do regulatory compliance issues look like? You know, that's one, that's that kind of, you know, risk-based factor I think that should be done really in any investment that a bank is doing anyway, um, regardless. But I think more importantly is really, you know, taking a look at you know, why are they looking at crypto, right? What is it they want to do? If it's purely as an investment asset, you, you know what, that's legitimate, that's fine. I think that's totally, you know, it's something that banks probably should be doing, right? Whether it's an investment tool or wealth management practice or something like that. You know, I think th that's reasonable. However, you know, again, there, you know, take a look at the underlying use case for what is it these cryptocurrencies are actually aiming to do, right? Uh, there, there are use cases which I think have potential longer term. So one that I quite like is, you know, kind of tracing authenticity of goods, right? Kind of tying things into a blockchain. Now, the example, I had a conversation with someone from New Zealand about this years ago, Manuka Honey. <laughs> now, it's one of those where you think, okay, what, honey? Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's a very specific you know high value object which is very easy to imitate right you know most people don't really know what manuka honey actually tastes like or looks like it's easy to slap a label on it's easy to fake it but having the ability to kind of trace the authenticity of that manuka honey every step along the supply chain is a good use case for something like a blockchain but that's not what a lot of these coins that we're seeing today are doing right they're tied into very random things be it kind of, you know, some sort of NFT play, um, some sort of Web3 play, you know, whatever it may be. 
But I would say, look, you know, just look at the actual use case. What is it that crypto actually wants to do, right? What is it that it says that it's doing? And, and you know, is that really a thing? Does it actually do anything? Because um, I still think there's this factor that, you know, what we still keep seeing today um, so frequently is this constant notion of, you know, let's put, we'll put it on a blockchain, right? I've seen a lot of different fintechs out there where it's like, well, we have the solution that lets you put XYZ in a blockchain, and maybe we have another solution which lets you connect various blockchains so that you can have these kind of chains of chains and connect everything. But you kind of got to take a step back and be like, well, okay, but why? <laughs> What's the purpose? I keep hearing about, you know, kind of blockchain secured ticketing, right? Which on paper, like, oh, okay, that sounds kind of neat. But then just think about that for two seconds. Like, well, why? What's the point? <laughs> like, ticketing is not challenging today as it exists, what is the benefit of putting that onto a blockchain um, and building on top of that? So, so, you know, just, yeah. So for banks, it is that step of, you know, just what is this actually doing, right? What is the point of this? What is the point of this crypto? Even if it's just purely as an investment asset, I do think there's a factor of, you know, those cryptos that do potentially have more of a use case um, will, I think, have longer term survival chances. I can't guarantee anything. Crypto is a wild world. Who knows? Um, what's going to be successful? I could be completely wrong. Maybe things will explode. Maybe they'll utterly collapse by the time, you know, kind of this recording goes out. Um, but you know, a use case helps. It definitely gives it a lot more solid grounding. I think for future growth. Are there any banks that you know of? Uh, you know, maybe focusing on the U.S. and Canada, but but maybe anywhere in the you know in, in let's just say Europe or America or, or Canada, North America, rather uh, that that you think have successfully sort of at least in, again crypto so volatile so what's successful today may not even you know it may not be successful tomorrow but are there any you know institutions banks uh you know larger financial service providers uh that have successfully in your opinion or in the opinion of a lot of uh, you know payments and, and crypto and, and uh digital financial services experts uh sort of broached the crypto problem successfully I'm not sure anyone's fully cracked it yet, right? I think there's people who have made a lot of money there. I think, you know, there has been money to be made. It's impossible to deny that. Um, I don't think there's one bank that stands out at all as being kind of, you know, uh, again, kind of best practice, who's a leader, someone worth imitating here. Now, I'm sure someone could come out of the woodwork or someone could point out like, oh, well, you're missing this initiative or X, Y, Z, or look at the returns on this portfolio or indexed fund of cryptos. Um, so, you know, maybe they're out there. I have not seen anything which makes me think, okay, that's it. These guys have, have really solved it, right? Which have, they've really cracked it. I think the problem we're in now is just more, you know, just the hype and investment levels and activity just have reached such a, I don't want to say preposterous, but maybe I do want to say preposterous levels, right? <laughs> Where it's just, you know, things have exploded so quickly last year. And of course, now we're seeing this big correction within the market. Um, I think, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to see like what really works and what has worked, right? I think kind of the old Warren Buffett quote of, you know, when the tie goes out, you see who's not wearing a bathing suit. <laughs> you know, and I think we're still at that point where the, the tide is still receding. So maybe, you know, check again, I'd say in about six months time to see who's doing well, or at least better than perhaps the rest of the market. Well, you know, let's let's tap down on that six month thing. I mean, again, crypto, we keep saying it's so volatile. I mean, are, are there any trends or anything you've identified that you that you you can sort of point to as saying this is probably what it will look like in, in, in you know, the crypto banking market and, you know, six to months to a year down the line? Is there anything, you know, concrete that that you've seen? So, I mean, yeah, forecasting in crypto, I think, is always very, very difficult. I actually don't think it'll look that much different than it has now. 
right? I think, you know, there's so much investment, there's so much money and so many interested parties here. Even this latest, I mean, I do think it's a little bit more than a blip, but this, you know, these latest hurdles within the industry, and I don't think it's going to derail a lot of the path of what we've seen so far, right? I think it's going to take a bit more of a massive, you know, kind of, well, I don't want to quite, well, maybe it is a collapse, right? Something much, much bigger before we see a major change in direction, just because there's too many vested interests within this, right? I would not underestimate some of the ego and human personalities involved when it comes to crypto. You know, when people kind of dedicate this, if you look at it more so than any other technology that I've seen in my lifetime, I've been you know quite so perhaps ideological, um, you know, at least such a focus for people, right? It's almost an identity point for 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 many out there including within the banking and investment world where, you know, they're, it's the crypto bros, you know, kind of at the worst end of the market. But I think there's a lot of true believers out there who really feel that, you know, this is a, a huge growth opportunity. I don't see the latest, you know, challenges shifting opinions that much. The danger is, of course, if, you know, if there are bigger challenges to the market, if those opinions still stay very rigid, that's where I think things start getting more problematic. Um, but in terms of kind of current developments of where we are today, I think we'll see more funds, you know, being invested in. I think we'll see a lot more, um, again, crypto as an investment asset, right? It's much more that investment tool, that wealth tool, much more so than an actual payment mechanism. Um, so, so, you know, this is what I find interesting. If you speak to a lot of banks, there's a few proof concepts out there, people playing around with crypto as a means to, you know, oh, well, we're going to build a mechanism to do payments via this. And there have been some initiatives for more, you know, intra-bank, particularly cross-border crypto plays. So think of things like R3 or, you know, Ripple's been around for quite a few years. They do pretty well there. You know, that's much more establishment aspect of the crypto scene. I think they'll keep going along. You know, they've, I think, probably got a lot more reputable legs compared to much of the market. Um, but yeah, maybe a little bit of pulling away from things like the NFTs I think from some of the banks out there. Um, so perhaps just a bit more skepticism, at least in the near term. But again, like any asset, right? Once crypto starts going back up in value, I think there'll be a lot of people leaping back into it. Which again, I think that's why it's hard to, you know, you can't really overstate how big of a challenge the latest takeups are. Because just, you know, taking that longer term view, crypto is still way up. You know, I put a hundred bucks on Ether back in like 2018 and it's gone up and down, but I'm still way up for my hundred bucks from a couple of years ago. Right. So, you know, for any investor who takes a long-term view, which I think most investors hopefully do, or they should, um, you know, it's still looking pretty good at the moment. A lot of banks that are in that middle ground between fully jumping into, into, you know, all things crypto and, and mm -hmm. kind of being steadfast and not doing anything involving crypto at all. A lot of them, I think, are looking to stable coins and, and stable coin development. Uh, and, and the interest from from regulatory bodies in the U.S. and in other you know European and North American countries, they're looking at that to kind of guide how they how how they approach you know digital assets. We'll call it. So, kind of maybe a final question here for you is: Does a stablecoin offer or does it create a different use case than the than Bitcoin or a comparable you know coin? I mean, I think it does. I think stablecoins are pretty interesting. Um, the one that I think is really the wild card to watch out for that'll really make or break the market and change it completely is very much it's those um, you know the you know the um, central bank digital currencies right the CBDCs. Exactly. I think that's really what most banks are going to be waiting and looking for. It's you know I think with all this, there is still and I would not underestimate this the regulatory considerations for most banks are still going to be very top of mind right. I think above and beyond anything else, based on the latest you know murmurs that we're hearing, some of the attitudes that we're, we're seeing, 
especially when you do see these big losses that hit quite a few, you know, there's the the commercial investors, but also the retail investors, that pressure for regulatory action of some kind, you know, just to provide some sort of protection, some sort of control, some sort of limits. It's a little bit contradictory. For some, that's kind of the death knell of, of crypto, right, for the true believers. But for the banks, that kind of makes it more than anything else. So, so having something like, you know, stable coins, I think, do have a very important role to play in the future. The shifts and challenges we've seen recently, though, suggest that, you know, stable coins, they need some work, right? I think people are going to be a little bit dubious about just hearing, well, it's a stable coin, so it's fine. I think people are going to want to see, well, okay, you know, what is it pegged against, right? Do you really have those assets that you're saying are backing it up? And, you know, what is the, the, the domino chain that could make this collapse? I think there will be that healthy skepticism. I think coming through there, you know, that plus I think some more regulatory oversight and then suddenly you've got much more of a winner there. So so they have a role to play. I think there's a lot of change to come, but we'll just have to wait and see um, what happens there. The crypto space, it's such a fascinating space that keeps evolving in so many unexpected and just, you know, frankly, weird ways. And it's one that I think will keep happening. I mean, it's one of the, you know, it'll never die. I don't, it, it can't die, right? There's no off button to crypto. You know, you can't switch off Bitcoin, even if you really wanted to. So in any, you know, no matter what's going to, it will keep evolving and permutating in new ways. And it's really just a question of keeping an eye on saying, well, what does that mean? What are the implications and what does that mean for banks? And I think that's it. You know, that's my biggest advice to all banks today is to just really take a look at it. Like, what does this actually do? I think people have been kind of, you know, sucked, sucked into the buzzwords quite a bit without taking a step back. So, okay, but what problem does this solve? What does this actually do? Um, you know, that can't perhaps be solved better by another technology. And I think, you know, I think the market, I hope, I think the market's moving in that direction. Because um, what scares me is just when people say, you know, well, it's okay, crypto's different, right? This time it's different. Um, always dangerous words in the financial services community. You've been listening to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. Thank you for your time and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more automation news. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you.